Tom, we Hello. did a show a little while ago, and we talked about high school reunions. Yeah. You remember that? I do, and she ended up not going, and we were okay with that. It, we Everybody was okay with that. She was okay with that. We were certainly okay with that. We all agreed, the three of us, that it was okay. Uh, I, I did get an email from a friend of the show, Jacob, who wrote this story. My 10-year high school reunion ended in a melee after Tony, the three-sport captain who never left town, called Elise the class slut turned brown mother of six, mm. a terrible parent, and her husband, Andrew, class burnout turned Navy SEAL, oh. rearranged his eye socket. Oh, my God. <laughs> when I ran into the class president afterward, she was very optimistic the incident would help attendance at the next event. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would go to reunions if there was stuff like that. <laughs> right? Pete, I think we can both agree that outer space is the worst. Oh, Tom, so many vacuums. So many vacuums. Films like Gravity, Ad Astra, uh, which I call Sad Dad Astra, Event Horizon, <laughs> Apollo 13. Actually, every space movie ever made shows how easy it is to make a small space mistake and everything goes haywire. And then your insides are all over your outsides. But Running Man. What's that? No, not Running Man. Nope. What was the one? The Schwarzenegger where his eyes fell out. With Total Guado. Oh, yeah. Got to throw that in. I know. Blue, blue skies on Mars. But we can all finally relax because a UK based space company is making space a little less terrifying. Just kidding. They're sending robot <laughs> spiders to the moon. What? The company what? Spacebit will be sending a two pound spider robot on a US satellite in 2021. It's going to spider all over the moon looking around. And if it works, they're going to send up a ton more spider robots with the plan of mapping out lava tubes to eventually establish human colonies. Okay, so we're talking about the moon, we're talking about space, and a bunch of robot spiders. Wonder why I'm bringing this up on an anxiety podcast? Okay, let's keep going. How do they no, map I out No, I don't. The Not at all. Did any of them see Runaway? Right. That Tom Selleck hit? <laughs> Jeez, what's a good reference. I do know that movie. Uh, uh, well, here, this will make you feel better. How did the robot spiders map out the tubes with, quote, Laser eyes. <laughs> oh, what if the spider robots with laser eyes get stuck behind something? Well, they're programmed to jump very high to get over <laughs> obstacles. No, and once they're what? all up there together, how will they work together to achieve a goal, Pete? With, quote, swarm intelligence. Uh, once deployed uh, in a group, the spider robots will be able to connect with each other and coordinate in the exploration and mapping of larger areas. So, in a nutshell, we're sending a fleet of laser-eyed jumping robot spiders to the moon, where they'll be able to team up and swarm as they await us humans to come join them. It sounds foolproof to me. Pete? And just for the record, they are not also sending Tom Selleck. They are not sending... No. But I am definitely... I'm sending my phasers <laughs> to anxiety. <laughs> so on sea, got a little longer, so it seems. I bring out, so to speak. I come a little closer. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, to learn about it. And hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at whatsthatsmell.net. Mm. And with that, Tommy, mm. I've got one for you. Mm. 
Tommy, I have been, I don't, I, you never know what triggers stuff, right? You mm. just don't know. Mm-mm. When anxiety mode switches to on, and then you just become <laughs> aware of things that you haven't been aware of before. Or sure. maybe you have been aware of, but forgot to be aware of it, and suddenly you're aware of it again, and now it's all you can think of. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do I you do. Have that I experience? Mean- that was a little bit of a riddle, but no, I understand that it sort of, it heightens everything and you yeah. see everything through an anxiety prism. Ooh. Oh, the anxiety prism. Well, <laughs> so I started thinking about some uh, something that I learned in high school and I did not learn it from, I just want to say this up front, I didn't learn it from a good source. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's start with that. Yep. I learned through some context, I think it was somebody who was giving a history presentation in my history class in high school who said during the uh, kamikaze attacks that Mm. Japanese soldiers, if they were not, these pilots, if they were not killed during their suicide bombing runs, that they were trained to, do you know what they were trained to do? Seppuku? No. Harikari? No. Wait. I think those are the it's helter. They were trained to helter skelter. Okay. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Nailed it in one. It's they self, were self stabbing, right? Well, that's one. That's oh, okay. which is exactly not what I'm talking about today. Oh, great. <laughs> right. Glad, glad you appeared. Because that would have been, I think, a correct answer. As I learned later, that in fact there are all kinds of ritual sort of suicides that were going on, suicides of honor in in Japanese culture, and we're not here to talk about that. Okay. What we're here to talk about is the plane crashes into a thing. The 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 soldier does not is not uh you know dead and mm-hmm. so he is trained to when with no other options swallow his own tongue. Duh! Is that even possible? The trained. Oh, let's man. just let's just hang up. Let's just hang that on the wall. We're just gonna put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So <sighs> I learned that in high school, and that was I. It was one of my very first experiences with a contagion anxiety. Like, I did not have a problem with tongues and swallowing and all that until <laughs> right. I heard that. Uh, and, and I should say, this this person who was giving this presentation, I'm sure they didn't do well on their presentation. But when you're in high school and you hear somebody who says things to you, nobody's fact-checking that. Like, it's fact-checked on the grade and comment that goes to that individual. <laughs> no one comes back to the students and says, hey, right. what he just said is nonsense. You should not believe that. It's fake news. That didn't happen. It was a presentation mm. that nobody thought anybody was paying attention to. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I became very aware of my mouth and tongue for a number of years, right? And And I would sit on the school bus and I would like tickle the soft palate of my tongue. And I would think, God, like it would only take a few more millimeters and I would be swallowing my own tongue. Ah! I could swallow my tongue. You just do that. I don't like it. Makes bad sounds in my head. It's it's not great. So you you grow out of stuff, right? When you're a teenager, you're going through all kinds of stuff that's like more distracting than this. Sure. So eventually, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Tongue swallowing. So eventually, you may. I realized that you know, rather than tickling my own soft palate, it was fun to kiss girls. Like that was great. And then I got out of it. I grew out of it. And so, uh, I uh, that was that was just my kind of experience. Didn't think about it at all. And then I saw uh, I saw this video 
and I haven't thought about this in forever, but I'm going to, I'm going to send you a, a link. Oh, what do you, can you describe what you're seeing? Yeah. It's like an x-ray of a head and there's a mouth that's a lady's talking about something and it looks like she has a squirrel in her mouth. Okay. That squirrel, Tom, is the tongue. That's what the tongue looks like? That's what the tongue looks it like. It looks like she's already swallowed her tongue. It does look like that. The tongue, and, and that is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. You can't swallow your tongue. Okay. You can't do that. And the, the I read a fantastic post by a, a, a physician in Australia who says the only way you could swallow your tongue is if you cut it off and ate it after the fact. That's the only way you're going to get your tongue down your throat. Why is that, Tom? Because as you look at this video, you see the tongue is massive. It's all over it the is, place. It's all over the It is a massive thing. It's like there is a hole in the bottom of your jaw and that hole is filled with seven pounds of tongue the tip of the tongue <laughs> is the smallest part the part that factions words is the smallest part of the tongue the part that that moves bolus of food around your mouth as you chew it's the small tippy part the rest is a giant muscle that sits in the bottom of your throat it's Squirrel terrifying it's yeah. the worst who invented that? <laughs> oh God, why? Okay, so that that's the whole thing about the tongue. I fixate on the tongue when I get stressed. And when anxiety mode flip, switch goes on, I become very And you're all of a sudden aware. Well, see, now I'm more aware of my tongue than I've ever been in uh, my life. Yes. Do you see? Contagion anxiety. There we are. Here yeah. we go. When I get anxious and then I get nervous, right? And that's that feeling when my throat starts to kind of seize up. Mm. And I believe in just a moment, like suddenly I, I try, I do this thing where I'll, I'll say to myself, okay, everything is okay in the world as long as I can still swallow. And then I try <laughs> to swallow and I can't swallow. My mouth gets dry. My tongue, it feels like it's swelling. I don't know if it's swelling, but I can't swallow. And it feels like the tip of my tongue is lodged to the back of my front, two front top teeth. Like, I can't separate those things. Really? And all of a sudden, I worry if, if I, what if I screw up? What if I can't, like, rehydrate? I can't put water in my mouth. It just comes pouring out of my face because I can't swallow it. And, or what if the opposite happens? What if my tongue loses all substance? And what if the next thing I try to do, actually, I can, I can swallow my tongue without chopping it off first? Uh. Like, all of those things come into my head at once. And usually, it only lasts for a few seconds. Like, usually, it's the longest few seconds you can imagine because it turns out your body generally does remember how to swallow when you pour water in in yeah. your throat you'll figure that out yeah uh and then i think oh i'm just a lonely idiot who can't figure out his tongue right and then <laughs> and that's when that's when the shame washes over and i'm like well i'm alone in the world so right. so that's it and then i did a little research 
Uh, why? Well, well I just we're no, not I, in a good we're not in a good place right now. So no, might as no, well do no. research. I just leaned in on that a little bit, Tom. But I wanted to to know that I am in fact not a lonely idiot who can't figure out his tongue in times of anxiety. There are a lot of people who can't figure out their tongue in I, times of anxiety. Oh my God, it makes me so anxious to even think about how I'm not alone. There's just a bunch of people just going. But that makes you anxious? That should make you feel better. No, it, it's this whole idea that, that uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who can't figure out their tongues and can't swallow in times of anxiety. And it, actually, there are so many, Tom, that it has a name. Really? Yeah, get ready. Globus pharyngeus. <laughs> Globus the one pharyngeus. word that's the hardest to pronounce with your tongue or without your tongue. It is the word that is also... It's a test of your own condition. If you can say it without swallowing your tongue, you don't have it. <laughs> that should be a litmus test for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so this globus sensation, it is the persistent sense that something is is lodged in the throat and you are in you your intention, your natural instinct is to try to swallow it, but you can't, right? Huh. You, you swallow so you think you might choke. Uh, and that, it, it, of course, becomes the cyclic uh, anxiety spiral of doom. It triggers anxiety, starts to feel like something might come up, that you might be sick without actually feeling sick, and then it all goes from there, and it's just a circle of choking and something coming up, mm. and you also can't. So that that's it, and that is reported constantly in forums around the world anxiety and mental health forums people are talking about this very thing it's it's one of those uh th those conditions that i didn't even know about it's like a, yeah. a 3d poster suddenly i just saw godzilla <laughs> well it i didn't think that i could necessarily relate to it until i was just thinking i don't think about not being able to swallow or Dry mouth is definitely a thing when I have anxiety, but if I'm suffering from really bad anxiety, the idea of trying to eat something is impossible. That actually, yes. when I was, okay. I had a really uh, bad anxiety during a short film that I made a zillion years ago called Adam and Evelyn, and I ended up accidentally going on what I called the Adam and Evelyn weight loss plan, which is I just couldn't eat for many days. I was just drinking uh -oh. water and stuff, and yeah. so I ended up losing like five pounds in two weeks or ten pounds in two weeks or something like that because – and I wonder if that's a connection to it, that there is sort of a thinking of that I won't be able to swallow or that my mouth is too dry or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's really fascinating. And I, I think that's a, you know, that that's one of those weird, subtle, like side effect anxieties where you don't even think about it until you like weigh yourself. And realize that you're wasting away and right. didn't even see it coming. Um, it, it's it's one of those those things that uh, it, it happens so fast. It, it takes me back to like our very first show talking about tail strikes. Like mm. you don't think about it at all until right. you think about it. It's like zero to a hundred in two seconds. It's Correct. like all you can think about, and then it passes. And it's very okay. briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, that to me makes it feel like it is so primal that it's and unlike a lot of anxiety, which is you're really having to fight against rationality. Mm -hmm. If it's that quick, the fact that I don't think about tail strikes at all until just that it's happening or like you're talking about about swallowing stuff that most of you, the majority of you knows you're fine. 
but there's just something yeah. so deep and dark that takes over in like a fight or flight thing that it's easier, easy to get rid of even subconsciously, but it's still there digging in, which is interesting. Yeah, right. It, it is even more interesting when you look at uh, treatment and you start pulling out the things that start in your head and the things that start physiologically, right? That, that there are people who actually have swallowing disorders and those, those do not have this globus sensation. Those have a full-on dysphagia or uh, odinophagia, which is uh, where dysphagia is difficulty swallowing. Mm-hmm. Odinophagia is uh, painful swallowing. I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of that. Oof. And unfortunately, my wife who listened to this show is a speech language pathologist and right. they actually have a specialty in dealing with swallow- swallowing disorders so i'm going to be outed in a big big way i don't <laughs> want to talk about swallowing disorders just other dis- other than to say uh the the treatment of swallowing disorders is a serious thing and it involves a, a lot of you know physics and manipulation and just mechanics of how the muscles and the bones work in your mouth and throat and um can lead to all kinds of things like you know feeding tubes and and you know alternate feeding mechanisms mm. if you can't actually swallow it's it's a and and so it was a mistake to go down this road because it just makes the <laughs> globus sensation that much worse <laughs> Oof. yeah uh, but safe to say that this is the reason i bring that up is that this is a real thing and it is treatable and you can get this question answered for real and for the more sort of psychosocial element of the anxiety like you can go to your doctor and say i think i might have a swallowing disorder can you just check me out and they can tell you they can tell you and end that discussion for you, right? So you can you can you can figure it out. They can look at you, they can look at the way you work, they can give you uh, a uh, uh, either tell you here's the intervention, like we're going to look at some medication or you need to go into some some cognitive behavioral therapy. You need to just start t- looking at at what this represents for you or they can tell you, you know, you're fine. That may be enough, right? It could be like me. It's an anxiety that that rages for about 90 seconds and then it passes. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever think about it again. Uh, so uh, it is uh, this globus sensation. It's you should just really, first of all, you should just practice saying it a lot um, right. because Globe. globus pharyngeus. Oh, I made it. I'm OK. Hey, globus I'm okay. Oh, and we lost Tom. year in anxiety tom you think you've got it bad (laughs) the year is 1957 i love it there's a biologist by the name of warwick kerr have you ever heard of warwick kerr um no was he in willow <laughs> Who am I Warwick thinking of? Davies. Warwick yes. Davies. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Different Warwick. No, this is a biologist and he has a great idea. What if you could take European bees and bees from Southern Africa and put them in Central America to see if they'll be more productive? That would be amazing. More honey, more resilient climate. Perfect. Foolproof. The thing is, yeah, totally <laughs> foolproof. Totally. The thing is, the biologists really don't want your guest bees to get into the local climate, right? They can't get out into the wild. That would be risky because our man here, Warwick, he's a biologist. He knows how tricky it is to maintain a stable ecological environment, right? So he puts gadgets in place with all his bees to keep the queens and the big drones from getting out and mating with the locals. Mm. All right. Are you with me so far? Yeah. 
I don't like where this is going, but so far so good. Oh no, it's good. It's uh, it's really good. Do you remember that scene in Planet of the Apes where there's that guy alone in the cage area and he's like hosing down the apes and Caesar beats him up and uh, you know gets out and escapes? Yes. Do you remember that guy? You remember that? Okay, now imagine you're that guy. Okay. You're the outsider. You're the part-time beekeeper who's mm. just trying to help, right? You're the guy who's cleaning out under the hives and you think, "Huh, these gadgets here, they seem to be in the way of letting all these bees play together. I think I'll take these gadgets out. <laughs> Why? <laughs> if you're that guy, Tommy, that you are patient zero, you were the guy who actually released 26 swarms of Africanized bees into the local environment to mingle Ooh. and breed and scare the crap out of the rest of us for nearly 60 years. I could tell you not to fear the bees, that they really only kill humans once or twice a year. Uh, I could tell you that they're now the dominant source of honeybee producer in Central and South America because of their genetic dominance. Mm. I don't want to tell you all of that, though, because this isn't a story about the bees. It's a story about how you feel if you're that guy, that <laughs> one guy thinking you're helping when you yep. actually just unleashed the bee apocalypse into North America. <laughs> I think about that guy. If I were that guy, I would be riddled with shame and anxiety just getting out of bed in the morning. So I, I think about that guy and I think, you know, my day isn't so bad after all. This year, anxiety, <laughs> 1957. Okay, so we've got bees all over the place. We've got robot spiders. That's a lot of swarming, and that works great for today's Audible book. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. You will get a free book, and you will be helping out the show that you're listening to right now in your ears. Uh, the book I'd like to suggest this week is Pray by Michael Crichton. You're a Crichton fan from a long time ago, right, Pete? Yeah, I'm total cried Have you listened to <laughs> Pray? <laughs> Crichthead. I just was going <laughs> to let that go and I couldn't. Uh, yeah, it's I, I real... was like, I was chumming the water with that, Tom. You are ahead of everything. I, just... I like that. Come I like on. to say that I live in Crytown. Nice. <laughs> uh, Prey, why I'm suggesting prey is because it is malicious. It's about a <laughs> cloud of nanoparticles, which are micro-robots, that escape a laboratory. It's self-sustaining, self-reproducing, intelligent, and it's been programmed as a predator. Hooray! That sounds terrible. <laughs> and like, oh, I don't know what we're about to send to the moon. Uh, so it's Prey by Michael Crichton. It is a lot of fun. Uh, it's scary. It's creepy. And unfortunately, it seems like something that could actually happen in the near future. It's 12 hours and 50 minutes, so potentially start reading and then maybe like make some sort of a swarm of robots to finish reading <laughs> so you can go on with your life. Uh, again, for listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Again, visit audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast, free audiobook download, and you can help the show. And with that, Pete, I say we swarm ahead. Pete, you've been working so hard, making us sound so professional, keeping the podcast lights on. I got you something. For me? For you, my friend. And it's a listener submission. <laughs> and Pete, this is exciting. It's an audio cue. Oh, fantastic. Roll it. 
Hi, gents. I love the show, and I've been tumbling around different anxiety ideas to send in for ages, but everything seemed too isolated to me or even only experienced intermittently, so I didn't think it was worthy of submission until this one banged me on the head, and I realized that it's so ingrained in me that I don't even recognize it as anxiety anymore. I just pre-sell it as a preference and hope that no one tries to break it. It comes from a lot of old tapes surrounding the concept of, air quotes, surprises. You know, the thing where people get together and decide that they want to covertly do something, air quotes, nice, or air quotes, special for someone else, but they don't want to tell them about it or even ask a person if it's something that that person really wants. I hate surprises, but that's too specific for you to tackle. I hate surprises for all kinds of reasons, but the anxiety I feel is much more generalized in everyday life. The reason people go about these covert exercises outside of the recipient's feedback is that to these surprisers, the surprise itself is part of the gift. You may be tracking with me now, or maybe you're really not, but the anxiety in my life comes from gifts. I hate being given things because I stress out forever wondering about whether or not I'm giving appropriate gratitude. It becomes a vicious spiral in that I spend so much time beating myself up about etiquette and my behavior that I never actually receive any pleasure from the thing that's being given. It covers everything, too. Meals paid for. Did I like it enough? Do they know that I liked it enough to, like, close? I have to wear this so they know that I appreciate it. And then in, like, a super sad way, it even covers, like, benefits at work. Do they understand that I appreciate this? How can I make sure they know I deserve this benefit and that I'm also thankful for it? It's just... It's a terribly isolating feeling because I can't allow anyone to give me anything lest I be racked with confusion and anxiety about the moments immediately after any gift giving, as well as the ongoing sense that I'm a jerk that hasn't done enough to show thanks. All the love in the world to you both. That comes to us from Shepard. Shepard, thank you so much for uh, sending that in. We really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, gift giving. No, I'm sorry, gift receiving. Okay, see, that's interesting to hear. Because Pete, I would have thought that the anxiety involved in gifts for most people would be yeah. picking them out versus yep. receiving them. Because, you know, gifts can be seen as a like a manifestation of our feelings for another person, and that's a lot of pressure. But, Shepard, first and foremost, please know that you are not alone. I typed in, don't like getting gifts into Google, and 1.4 billion with a B <laughs> results came up. I'm not joking at all. 1.4 billion results came up. And Pete, I went through all of them. No. <laughs> Uh, but there are a ton of articles and like forum posts and everything written about this topic. So, Shepard, you are in good, bad company. Pete, do you relate to this anxiety in your life? I do. I didn't think I related to it quite as um, uh, thoroughly mm. uh, and until uh, Shepard uh, wrote it mm -hmm. and or, or, until Shepard submitted it to us. But everything he described here, huh. I... I felt like I, I have felt before. I also, though, I have the other side and uh, where, where I do have great anxiety about giving gifts. And, mm. uh, and I'm still like, I still struggle because my challenge with giving with gifts is all about like, oh my God, how do I demonstrate what I really feel about these people? Right. I'm either not going to give them anything and say something nice, or mm -hmm. I'm going to spend way too much money on stuff <laughs> that really doesn't have an impact. Right. So, right. And they'll know it costs too much. So you'll make them uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, that's, I, I, like, my greatest anxiety is like, what happens if they say, well, I can't buy you a car too? Right. Which, of course, I can't, <laughs> I can't buy a car right. for somebody, but, but I can but hardly buy a car for myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, I do stress about giving gifts. I don't really stress about getting gifts personally, uh, because I believe I'm a very good gift receiver, which is odd because I'm a terrible compliment receiver. Weird. Yeah. When someone gives me a compliment, I desperately want it. And I yeah. remember it, and I really think about it. And in the moment, I'm sure I make that person wish that they had not done it because I'm like, <laughs> you are, or ah, shucks, or like, I don't know how to curtail my uncomfortableness, even though it's making me so happy. But something about gifts, I'm able to see it as what it's supposed to be, which is just, yeah. this person is just expressing love. Um, and so I'm good at expressing why I like the gift and bringing up something specific about it. As I said, there was 900,000 million billion different things to read about this. And I went through some, and I just wanted to do a quick hit parade of one or two, and then we can get a little bit deeper into maybe where this comes from. Uh, mm -hmm. But I read, uh, there's a woman named Marilee McKee. Ooh, that's fun. M's. Marilee oh, McKee. Sweet. She's a self-proclaimed American modern manners and etiquette expert and alliteration machine. And she talks about how to graciously receive a bad gift. Um, she, uh, gives an example. She was given, there was someone that came to a party of hers that she did not know very well. And that person brought a framed photo of herself. <laughs> That's classic <laughs> weird gift territory, right? So how did Marilee McKee, uh, handle it? She said, oh, the woman's name was DD, or at least that's the pseudonym used. Marilee responded, a framed photo, Dee Dee. Thank you. You gave us a very personal gift. Your blue blouse in the picture is pretty, and it's nice how the frame will sit on a table or can be mounted on the wall. Because <laughs> that's not a weird or robotic way to talk at all. That's how I assume Mark Zuckerberg receives gifts. <laughs> he just says one thing about it and then ex yes. explains exactly how it exists in the world. Your um, gift, made of wood and plastic, <laughs> has been received. <laughs> it's like a window, but it's a picture of you. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah, so merely I kind of imagine that Mark Zuckerberg has, like, stamps that are just circles with a number, <laughs> red circles with a number one in them, and he'll just come to your house and put it on your window facing in, so you see it, you got a notification from Mark, right? Oh, I didn't get it at first. Got it. <laughs> That's him. That's his way of generosity. It's still right. a notification, but it's it's IRL. Right. Awesome. Like Tom from MySpace, he would just come over and like sit <laughs> yes. in your corner, uninvited. Yeah. He would just always be there. MySpace, timely. Outstanding. Deep cut, Tom. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. From the producers that brought us a runaway with Tom Selleck. <laughs> It shows you're a man of the internet. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so I wanted to talk about you and about sh our friend Shep. There is something There is something a little bit different to this, uh, because that I love that example about the post, but that's an objectively bad gift, right? right. Like, that is a, a miss... That's missing the target right? Uh, for, for giving gifts. But what's interesting about Shep's is he doesn't want to receive any gifts. Right. Like, even the good ones. Right. And now all this, all I can think about is what am I going to give Shep? I like, I need to get on Amazon and find a way to just send Shep some stuff. Yeah. What do you give the person well, that doesn't want anything? Exactly. <laughs> it's a very specific problem. There are a lot of theories uh, about why people respond these ways. Shep is pretty clear about feeling like he's going to let the other person down. 
by not valuing or expressing yeah. the value of the gift alone, uh, value was a really big part of it. I mean, when I talked about personally how the gifts of compliments I have trouble giving is what's going on under the surface. Maybe you feel undervalued or maybe you feel overvalued. It makes you afraid of being found out. Pete, you've talked a lot about imposter syndrome yeah. in the past. If someone gives you a certain kind of gift, maybe... Um, it's just uh, sort of scratching at an underlying feeling of uh, insecurity. I read one person in a forum saying that they hated gifts and was able to trace it back to root causes where they were the child of divorce and presents were used as currency of manipulation, meaning oh, getting a oh. gift equaled parental emotional S-storms. And that's a quote. Um, and they had to work on disconnecting current gifts from the bad gifts of the past. One other one, uh, writer Sophia Ortega in the cut.com writes that she hates getting gifts for the same reason she hates being asked to repeat herself, the pain of feeling misunderstood. That a bad gift is a sign that her friends and family don't understand or respect her enough to know what she'd like. It's a lot going on about receiving wow. gifts. Something that's supposed to be an expression from one person to another, it ends up becoming a reflection of really, A, what you feel about yourself and what you're trying to make the other person feel about themselves. It never really occurred to me, but it is really a tough transaction. It wow, can be a tough fan. transaction if you let yes. it. Yes. Yeah. You, you, I mean, just reading or hearing you say, what I can't, now I can't remember what you said, currency of affection? Correct. A currency of manipulation. Oh, God. I actually, <laughs> I kind of gotcha. like mine better. Currency sure. of affection, right? Beca and, and that's, because that's, that's what I'm suddenly feeling about gift exchanges, which is, you know, I, like, receiving a gift is a thing that, one, demonstrates the gifter's feeling about me, right? Which mm -hmm. is now measurable. Right? And two, <laughs> requires a measured response in return, right? Yes. Now, I, and that gets to what Shep was talking about. I just don't know how to, how to meter my enthusiasm for somebody giving me a gift, so I'd rather just not gifts, get gifts at all. Correct. And um, I read on a blog called Psychology Today, Dr. John Omideo, Omideo uh, <laughs> he lists some reasons why he believes it's harder to receive than to give. And some of these are going exactly what Shep and you were talking about. Uh, number one is uh, fear of strings attached. That if you are given a gift that you, A, have to reciprocate, or the strings, that's what he wrote about, but what uh, the emotional reciprocation or strings attached that you guys are talking about is just as strong of they are yeah. setting you up accidentally, if you take it that way, as a need to perform, to really uh, respond in a way that proves to that person how much you love the gift, how perfect it is, even if it isn't, or even if just getting gifts makes you uncomfortable okay uh, I, I have a question yeah is it time for questions sure i can list the other two things that he listed real quick about harder to receive than give number one it can or number two it can be a defense against intimacy that gifts create an automatic connection between two people and one thing that you can do to keep people at arm's length is to keep that away and number three you're letting go of control 
Okay. That you're not getting something for yourself that someone yeah. is giving to you. The end. Well, Go ahead. I, and I think that number three is really like, okay, so you bought me, um, you bought me one thing and what I wanted was one thing plus. Like if I'd bought mm. it for myself, what I'm saving for is uh, and uh, something else. Like people know about me, Pete, mm-hmm. not to buy me technology. Because it doesn't matter, like, what they buy me. I always have my eye on something really specific. You want to get something for Pete, get him a gift card. Like, (laughs) he's got it. He's totally got it. And whatever you get him, he's probably going to return with great admiration and love for you. Right? That's the thing. But uh, so that's too late to take back that spider robot I bought you. (laughs) Because you had your eye on the other spider robot. (laughs) The nano spider robot. Look, (laughs) the thing that I I question is, is there a any sort of model that that throws into the mix here, like close friendships versus acquaintances, work environment, that kind of thing? Because Shep specifically brings up work. Do they uh, do they know how much I appreciate the benefits that I have here? Like that is Mm -hmm. included in the gift for me. It, there is a difference that if if somebody very close to me, like who I consider a very dear friend, gives me something, I don't have a problem receiving it. Mm. It's it's that next tier out that I have. I suddenly am triggered. Oh, now I have to recontextualize this relationship <laughs> in gift giving mode, and I don't know how. I don't know quite how to do it yet with this person. And that is something that I really, I, I struggle with. And and I think part of that, I don't know, I'll let you talk in a second. Hold on. I think part of that is... <laughs> I'm watching Netflix. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, part of that is that my closest friends, we're in a position where sometimes they'll just give me something because they thought, hey, I saw this out and I thought you would like it. And here's a thing that you'd like. And maybe it's a t-shirt. Maybe it's a whatever it is. It's just Mm -hmm. a nice, it's a nice thing. And like we've transcended the experience of uh, transactionalizing gifts. You know, I go out to uh, dinner with some friends uh, once a month and we just rotate, right? It's just whoever... Mm. Like I, I know you mean that who pays ev- or yeah, I know yeah. that once every three months I have to pay for three people's dinner, and mm-hmm. that's it. Like that's the extent of of what we do, and so that's that's kind of a gift. But because it's completely reciprocal, we always get each other back, and there's never a like there's never a concern that like, you know we're keeping score. So we've just transcended that. Um, I guess I, I don't know. So I don't know. Does any of this make any sense to you? It does, and I think that one of the that that sort of nebulous if you're not terribly close with the other person that can make it more difficult because one way sort of around this is that the people that know you best the closest and brightest people in your life um should know that receiving gifts isn't necessarily for everyone because of you know who Dr. Gary Chapman is Oh, G-Chap, totally. G-Chap, yeah. He's the guy that came up with the five love languages, um, ways of experiencing love or friendship, and they are words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, physical touch, and receiving gifts. Receiving gifts, why I brought this up is because that is just one of the five ways. So I would think that hopefully people that are closest to Shep would realize that receiving gifts is not the best way that he wants to experience love, friendship, or connection by others. That whether it's words of affirmation for him, acts of service, any of these other things, physical touch seems a little, maybe a little creepy, but... um, Uh, that there are other ways. So it's not weird necessarily for someone to feel um, 
very anti-gift because that's just not necessarily how they respond to things. I like that so much better. I like that. uh, That is a great resource because defining it as an understanding of love language is not something that an individual person is dealing with. It's just, it it is a a part of their identity that this is not how I communicate. And I I think that's liberating too, don't you think? Like it it frees you from having to feel aggressively um, like against gift exchanges for other people. Like, <laughs> right. it's great. I love, I love that you love gifts. And also, I don't really. So maybe you could just touch me every now and again. That's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? I take that back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> does that, I mean, I think that yeah. there's a secondary problem that I'm going to challenge you to solve right now, which is oh. if your love language is not gifts, how do you authentically and clearly and inoffensively tell people who love and care about you for whom gift giving is a love language? How do you tell them delicately? It's not for me. Are you talking about for the general public or people that you're the closest to? Well, I think it starts with people you're the closest to. People they're closest to. Well, if you're the closest to them, then I think they would be fine with hearing, you know what? My birthday is coming up, but instead of gifts, here's how the kind of thing that I would like if it's maybe just quality time. Or here's something that I need help with. Because even though it might seem a little awkward at first, you're letting two people off the hook, yourself and the other person. Because the other person's going to be racking their brains trying to come up with a gift that you're not even going to necessarily want because it's a gift. And so I think that that would actually be appreciated if sort of explained in the right way. Yeah, I totally, I, I think so too. And, and, you know, once you let people get to know this about you, they can be creative about giving gifts during periods where gift giving is culturally appropriate. Right. Like, you know, like at some point you have to receive a gift. And I look at this like my, I think about my kids again, right? So they went to this Chinese immersion school. They speak Chinese. And when they, for a long time, when they met adults, the adults would say, oh, oh, you go to a Chinese school, speak some Chinese for me. Mm. Right. That's a horrible thing to ask like a 10 year old. Uh, And so my kids would go into vapor lock and it would look like they don't speak Chinese, (laughs) even though I know they do. They would just stop speaking and crawl under a table. So what we taught them to do and what they got very good at was to develop a script, which is, you know, hi, my name is Billy Bob and I speak Chinese and I love it. Right. And Mm -hmm. they just have that one line in Chinese, that whenever they are confronted with, hey, do you speak Chinese? They would just say that line and everybody would say, oh, it's adorable, clap, clap, clap. And then they would move on with the day. And my kids would be okay and everybody's fine. So that's what we need to do here, which says Mm. like there is a second tier group that's going to give you gifts because you're at work and there's a white elephant exchange, whatever. I don't know what it is. And you have to have a line that just says, thanks, this is funny, or thanks, I'll I'll use this scarf or thanks. That's very thoughtful. And then move on with your day. Like know that nobody cares that much more than that uh, about than the weight of the gift that was given to you. And then for the people who really love you, they'll figure out how to get around your challenge with receiving gifts. And and I my in-laws, for example, gave me the best gift they could ever give me because they know I wear the same clothes all the time and have for many years and need new clothes. So instead of going out and buying me clothes, which they know I would struggle with, Hmm. they got me Stitch Fix. 
right? They got me a subscription oh, and the first box? month of so, yeah. It's and so I get to like pick the kinds of things I want, and then without putting any thought in it whatsoever, they send me clothes every right. three months. I get new clothes, and I don't yeah. know that I absolutely associate that with an incredibly thoughtful gift from my in laws. They're amazing that they thought about that for me because it's been it's changed me, right? Like that is an example for me of a gift that really works from people that I care deeply about. Right. It's a little bit more personal than just a gift card, which yes. I think everyone can agree is the best gift, yeah. but also is the least personal. Yes. That's like in the that's like a basket from Bed Bath and Body Works. The card might as well say I don't really know much about you. <laughs> you've been working <laughs> you've been working for me for 10 years and here do you like soft skin? Yeah. <laughs> or else it gets the hose again. Here's the thing. Here's a suggestion. <laughs> I, I have a suggestion, and it might work for you, too. When you're giving gifts to somebody you like, and I also love giving gift cards. Uh, my uh, sister-in-law, I give her a gift card every year, and it is to, it's usually to, like, the iTunes store or Amazon or something, but I always take the time to sit down, and I design an 8.5 by 11 card on my computer, and it has all the graphics, and I write up little reviews of things that I recommend she buy with the money that I'm giving her. She can buy whatever she wants, but I'll say, like, this year, the my favorite new movie was XYZ, and I write up a little why I love it and think that she should get it. Or mm. here are the three new albums that I added to my, to my you know, uh, music list this year that I can't take off rotation. They're so good. Mm. And you should buy those. So I'm giving a gift card, but I'm also not just signing a card that says, you know, Merry Christmas. It. I'm actually putting an hour in where I sit down and write from the heart why I think she would connect with this stuff, even giving her the freedom to go get whatever she wants. We've been doing that for 15 years. It's a great idea. Yeah, like whatever your kind of interests or skills are, like think about that. Like how can you contribute to that person's life? And then I think my hunch is, you know, uh, that gift will be better received and easier to receive if you have a gift issue, you know, if you, you know, put a little, put a little of that, you know, spin on it. That's right. And when you receive the gift, uh, Shep, again, thank you so much for contributing. Just remember, no matter what the gift is you receive, no matter what time of year, just always say, thank you. You gave me a very personal gift. The blue blouse in the picture is pretty, <laughs> and it's nice how the frame will sit on the table or could be mounted on the wall. Another problem solved. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Jello by Egozi. <laughs> say it again. I just want to hear you say it again. <laughs> I won't. You're going to have to right. just nestle with that. Coming up next week. Well, you know what they say. Before you hit the Atlas section, make sure you lube up. <laughs> Because we had gym like every day. Oh, okay. All right. So that wouldn't be, I would just be like Johnny Jim's a lot. Like if I'm just wearing <laughs> Johnny Jim's a lot. If I'm just Jim's wearing sports clothes. In Hollywood, I imagine you see that all the time. Yes. Constantly. <laughs> My actor's reel is out of date. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Metz the third, And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on Watch Yellow by a Okay, sorry. <laughs> Do it again, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I got rules and make amends.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 